Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all of your word that is inspired by you, that's breathed out by you, that is profitable for all of our good, regardless of whether we're a parent or a child currently. Lord, I, I thank you that your word profits this body. So Lord, I pray that you give us all ears to hear from your word so that we might help one another, we might serve each other, so we might grow in you. And Lord, thank you that you are building up this church. Thank you, God, that you are actively at work in this church. And Lord, we are grateful for all the many ways and and all the wonderful things that you are doing, God. Father, I pray that you would increase a passion for you in us. That you would increase a passion to make disciples, to be people who reflect you, God, who image you, who imitate you. And so, Father, I pray that as we learn about parenting and, and how to be a child who obeys, that we would reflect and imitate you in this, and we would help one another do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in the midst of preaching through the book of Ephesians, and last week we were going through what does it look like for wives to submit to their husbands and husbands to love their wives. All of this really, though, is part of how Paul has been laying out in the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters of Ephesians are that Really, we are called to be a radical new humanity in Christ. He's called us together. He's made us a part of his body. He's made us a radical new humanity. And everything has changed. If you have placed your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, to take away God's wrath, to give you his righteousness, then you've been brought into a family. You may not feel like you're part of a family. You may not feel, you may feel like you're isolated alone. That was one of the words this morning that was shared is, feelings of aloneness. Well, here's the good news for you. If you're feeling that way, you are not alone. God's made you a part of his family. He's made you a part of this local family, this church, and he's given you many means of grace to be able to grow as a disciple. And so in Ephesians, Paul is talking about how Jesus has come to redeem us from sin, to redeem us from the effects of sin, and to change everything about us so that we are now living radically. And so the first three chapters of Ephesians, if you haven't been with us, are all about who are we in Christ now as this radical new humanity, the church, his body. And then from Ephesians 4 on, it really talks about what does it look like? What does it mean then in light of who we are as this radical new humanity in Jesus Christ, these disciples of Jesus? Now that we are disciples of Jesus, what does it look like to actually follow Jesus? And so in Ephesians 4, He told us that, uh, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, he said, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And so he began this, this second section of Ephesians explaining what does it look like to walk as a disciple? What does it look like to walk in a manner that's worthy of this radical new humanity that he's called you and I to be a part of? 
And then in chapter 5, the great apostle, he began to instruct us with more specifics about what does it look like to live as a follower, an imitator of Christ, one who is loving like Christ has loved us. And so in Ephesians 5, 1, he told us, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So as disciples of Jesus, as part of this radical new humanity, we're to walk worthy of the calling, making good use of the time, and we're also to be imitators of God. And, he, and then he explains what does that look like. And he says, well, being imitators of God is, is walking in love as God, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That's the motivation for everything that follows in chapter 5 and chapter 6. And so it's really in this context that this radical new humanity is called to walk in love as Christ loved us. And gave himself up for us. So all of the commandments that we have in chapter 5 and in chapter 6, they all really flow from that verse in chapter 5. It's important to keep that in mind because so often in Christianity, we can just see commandments as duty and not part of how we delight in God. And so this morning, as we're focusing on, on specifically parents and children, this is a way that we can actually learn to love God more, to be imitators of God as our Father, we can also, if you're children here today, you can be an imitator of how we're to relate to God as children by how you relate to your parents. But all of this flows out of the fact that Christ has loved us and he's given himself for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. None of, none of the commandments of God that we keep ever earn us any favor before God, but... They help us enjoy God, know God, benefit from Him. And they're all in light of the fact that He has done what we couldn't do. He's perfectly kept all the commandments, and we could not in any way keep the commandments holy. And so in light of that, we're going to look at some more commandments that, that Paul is laying out for the Christian household. And, and like I mentioned last week, he talked about part of the foundation, really, for the family unit, husbands and wives, and how they're to relate to each other. And this week, we're going to be talking about the other fundamental part of the family, and how do parents relate to children. Now, if you are here today, and you don't have children, or you're not able to have children, don't feel like this message is not for you. This message is equally for you. You see why? Because we are all a part of this radical new humanity in Christ. Every member has its part. You're not less important if you can't have kids or don't have kids, if you're not married yet, if you, if you will never get married, you're not insignificant. Every member does its part equally. So we all need to listen in passages that may not directly apply to us because we are a part of this radical new humanity and we can help each other. And we're meant to encourage one another, to build each other up, to support each other. And, and so if you know families, you can encourage them. If you know moms and dads who need help in these areas, just because you're single, just because you don't have kids, does not mean that you can't help them. And if you are a parent, it does not mean that you can't receive input and advice from people who are not parents. We need each other in this radical new humanity that we are in Jesus Christ in order to live as disciples, in order to be imitators of God. You see, we, if you're a Christian, we've all been given God's spirit. And we are all able to be imitators of God equally, even if, if it's in different ways. And if you are older, and uh, your season for childbearing is long since past, and your kids have grown up and gone away, you can help too, because you can help be a source of helping to disciple those from your mistakes, because I'm sure like all of us, we make, you made mistakes too. 
but helping disciple others and bring each other on. One of the, the goals that we have for this year, in addition to finding a way that you are going to be pursuing growth as a disciple in Jesus, is to, okay, who would God have me disciple? Maybe it's, maybe it's somebody who doesn't know Jesus yet, or maybe it's somebody in the church too. So if you are past that age, I may encourage you, be actively looking. How can I use my season of life to disciple others? And so uh, if you're a parent, if you're a child, this directly applies. Parents, our time with our children is brief and is precious. Children, you may feel like you will be young forever. I know when I was a kid, I felt like I would just never, never get old and I would never die and I was invincible. It's funny, I used to do things as a kid that um, now just terrify me. I used to be able to do front flips just standing there and I thought it was cool. Now I'm like, I'll break my neck. I can't even think about it. And I, I, you might feel like you will always be young, but you will not. Your time to learn from your parents and honor God and how you obey is brief. And, and this time is not to keep you from from good things. This time as a child is actually meant to help you grow, to be a safe, nurturing environment where you can learn, where you can thrive and flourish. So don't despise the fact that you're a child. If you are um, 18 and under, if you're in the home, if you, if you are in that season, don't despise this time as if it's, you're just biding your time until you can get out of the house. Oh no, this is a time where God can strengthen you, you can learn, you can grow. I remember when I was a toddler, there's a guy named Harry Chapin. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of him. If you're under 40, probably not. Um, the guy named Harry Chapin, and he wrote a song. It was called Cats in the Cradle. And it's a song that will bring every parent to tears at some point. And it's lyrics. They still affect parents and children today. If you haven't heard them, I'm going to read them for you. It's, he says, my child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking before I knew it. As he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, Dad, thanks for the ball. Let's, come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I've got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away, but his smile never dimmed. He said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know I'm going to be like him. Well, he came home from college just the other day. So much like a man. I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and he said with a smile, what I really like, dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you, son, if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu, but it's sure been nice talking to you, dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. So I hung up the phone and it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. The time we have is brief. It's precious. And so for good reason, in verse 15 of chapter five, God instructed us, each and every one of us. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so we're gonna see in Ephesians 6, one through four, it is really carrying this out. It's a way to walk wisely, to not be foolish, to be aware that the days are evil and our time is short. And then we have little time here that we can use to glorify God, to learn about him. And so we'll see the main idea in Ephesians 6, one to four that we're gonna focus on is that God calls children to obey in the Lord. 
and parents to disciple on the Lord for our good. See, all the commandments that God gives to us are not, are not meant to just weigh burdens on us. The commandments of God are, are not meant to put burdens on us, but they're meant to be for our good. Children, you're to obey in the Lord for your good. Parents, you're to disciple your children in the Lord for your good and their good both. And there's really two main points we're going to focus on out of this main idea. And those two points are that God calls children to obey their parents in the Lord. And the second point is that God calls parents to disciple their children in the Lord. And Paul gets right to the point in verse 1. And he writes children, and that's an emphatic, you can almost imagine an exclamation mark there as he's writing. It's very direct. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And then he gives a reason for this is right. And so from verses 1 to 3, we're really going to unpack that first point, And it's that God calls children to obey their parents in the Lord, in light of the Lord, with an awareness of the Lord, God calls children to obey their parents. So in this first section, if you are a child, yes, this directly applies to you. It also applies to your parent because this is what you need to be teaching your children. And if you are not, and you can help others say, you know what, I think, I think maybe this is an area you can, you can grow in. Can I help you in this? Because God calls children to obey their parents in the Lord. He's, he, Paul is continuing here to apply that principle of of mutual submission. In, in verse 21 of chapter 5, he, he said that we're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and, and love one another out of reverence to God. And so these relationships in the home and these relationships of parents and children, they are important, they matter. The language here is so direct. Children are commanded to obey their parents. And the word for obey, it, it has a connotation of to listen to, to hearken to, to position yourself under, to learn from. Think about a doorman or a butler in a fancy home. They would actively listen for the door. And they would go, when they hear the knocking, they would go there where they hear the knock on the door. And so included in the idea of obedience here, it's a posture of listening, it's a posture of listening. This means that children need to be taught to listen. I know that when I was a kid, I did not automatically listen. Maybe other people did. I did not. I would often pretend that I didn't hear when I really did. I don't know if anybody else here ever did that. About, but my kids still do that. Be like, hey, son, come here. They'd be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Or, you know, they're running the other direction. I'm like, you heard me. Don't pretend. We need to teach our children to listen. Including obedience is, is, is teaching children to listen when mom and dad are talking to them. And, and part of that obedience is listening. And, and so we need to say, you know, it's not okay to lie like I used to. And you know what? I get it. I used to lie too. And you can tell your kids that. It might be helpful to them. I used to lie too and pretend I didn't hear my mom and dad. I know you're lying. It's okay. Stop it. Listen. Position yourself to listen. One of your responsibilities as a child is to actually position yourself like that doorman to listen. A doorman would be fired if he didn't listen for the door. It's part of his responsibility. He needed to put himself in a position to hear, to listen. In the same way, if you're not an adult yet and you're living in the home, whatever age you are, you need to make sure you listen for and put yourself under the instruction of your parents. It's a listening under somebody with intent to do what they say. And Paul says that obeying your parents in this way, it's right. It's right. Now, what does he mean there? What he means is that it's right for, obey, for children to obey their parents in general. Just like it's right for parents to love, to nourish, to care for, to protect, to provide for their children. 
Whether or not children or parents ever do what is right, it is right, and it's recognized almost universally as, as a law. You don't have to go into Christian circles to see that society in general, still for the most part, recognizes the fact that, that parents, it's, it's right for parents to, to care for and provide for their children, to instruct them, to train them. It's also right for children in general to obey their parents. Parents are expected to have their children's best interests at heart, and so because of that, society in general knows that it's right for children to submit to their parents. And when children don't obey their parents, it's not right. We've all seen that before. Unruly children are, are not a good thing. It's not right. I, I know I've been tempted before when I've seen kids, and I'm like, oh my goodness, they need some discipline. They need some help. It's not right to have undisciplined, disobedient children now, my children are often those kids too. But thankfully, they're, they're not that way normally in the most part. Romans 12, 9. I mean, well, I'm sorry, Romans 1, 1 29. The Apostle Paul, he's explaining in the, in the very first part of Romans about how humanity slides into depravity by following after their own desires. And, and as they give themselves over to their own desires, God gives them over to increasingly worse and worse sins. And one of those sins that's surprising, it's at the height of that list really, is disobedience to parents. He's listed murder and adultery and all kinds of things. And at the height of that list, God says, and, and people will be disobedient to their parents. It's a blight on God's plan. It's the height of disobedience and God giving people over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. And so God treats ongoing disobedience, and I don't mean, yes, all of us have, who have children know that our kids don't obey every time. Although we're training them to do that, um, our kids don't always obey. Sometimes my kids are disobedient. I need to train them. I need to instruct them. I need to discipline. I need to disciple them. But ongoing disobedience to parents is a serious and grave offense against righteousness. Obedience to parents in the Lord is right. But what does that phrase mean, in the Lord? So we know that it's right, but what does it mean that they're to obey in the Lord? It, it, it perhaps means a few things. It at least means that you're to obey your parents in keeping with obeying the Lord. So in the way that you obey the Lord is by obeying your parents. It's obeying your parents in the Lord because, because if you are in the Lord, you will be obeying your parents. It's one of the fruits of being in the Lord. And if you are finding that you are regularly disobeying your parents and you are a child here, you're in the home, and you find that you're consistently disobeying, not listening to your parents, not responding to your parents, you should begin to question, God, am I really following you? And, and let that convict you so that you turn to God. Repent and say, God, I want to follow you. And Lord, help me. Help me do what's not possible on my own. Help me listen to my parents. Help me to obey it also means that you're not to obey your parents, though, in the Lord. It means not, you're not to obey your parents in doing illegal or immoral things. Just as wives are not submit their husbands, uh, if their husbands are calling them to disobey Scripture, disobey God. So in the Lord means that as children, you are responsible for how you live before God. And so there are times where you're not to obey them if they ask you to do immoral or illegal things. And if you're in that position as a child, I'd encourage you to please find somebody else here who is safe, who you can go to, who you can talk to, and let them know if something illegal or immoral is happening. And, and God will provide a way out for you. But 
Obedience to your parents does apply when it's things that are consistent with Jesus' word. Now, you can't use that as an out, kids. If, if your parents ask you to mow the lawn, you can't say, that's not in the Bible, I'm not going to do that. Well, that's, that's not okay because, you, you see, that is consistent with his principles of, of caring for things and it's good to obey your parents. So in things that are seemingly amoral that your parents are asking you to do, you're still to obey in those things like wiping up the counter, cleaning the kitchen, doing the laundry, things like that. When your parents are asking you, if they're not asking too much of you, it means obeying your parents in the Lord, in the sense that it's a way for you to worship God through your obedience. Don't take lightly disobedience to your parents because this is a way that you worship God. This is a way that you say, God, I love you so much that I'm going to submit to my parents, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. And parents, you need to teach your children these things. In verse 2, it gets to the heart behind this. It's not just obedience, but it's obedience with honoring your father and mother. The scripture says, honor your father and mother. And then Paul says, this is the first commandment with a promise. And that's significant. He says, none of the other commandments that went before that in the Ten Commandments came with a promise. This commandment came with a promise. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. It's not just right. It's not just a natural law. It's also a divine commandment. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It gets the heart motivation, the heart attitude and obedience to love somebody in this way by honoring them. It's... It's showing them to be worthy of honor because, because God has put them in your life. Because God has made them your parents. Because God has placed you in this position that the family that you are in is not outside of God's sovereignty. It's not outside of God's control. And he will enable you to honor your parents even when your parents sin and aren't kind and aren't the best parents. To honor somebody is to live in a way that shows that they're worthy of honor because of who God's called them to be and who God's called you to be. But it's not just external obedience. Honoring is not just external obedience. That's why Paul doesn't just say obey. He says obey, but honor as well. It's, it flows from a desire to obey with an attitude that it comes from a desire to live for Jesus and all that you do. It's not just outward obedience that the Lord is commanding here. And we know that because in, in Mark... Jesus was interacting with the Pharisees and the Pharisees were all about external obedience and external behavior. The Pharisees were all about doing what looked right on the outside but what they failed to pay attention to was the heart motivation on the inside. And so Mark 7, we can read an account of an interaction with the Pharisees and Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. By the way, Jesus calling you a hypocrite, not a small thing. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written. This people honors me with their lips. External obedience. But their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. So even their worship of God was in vain. Teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. Then in verse 10. For Moses said. Remember this is Jesus talking. This is the new covenant here. For Moses said. Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man, not just talking to children, by the way, you need to hear that too. It's talking to everybody in the room who is a child, even if you're grown up. But if you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, 
Do you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down, and many such things you do. And Jesus was condemning them, but the illustration that he used about condemning them for external obedience was honoring your father and mother. And he was saying that this commandment doesn't go away, and it still doesn't go away. There's an expectation that the Pharisees would have been teaching that still to men, to people who are grown up. And so the commandment to honor here is not just for those who are physically children, it's for all of us to honor. The honoring portion of this continues. It's not to be mere lip service, though, mere externalism. You remember the boy of the, the story of the little boy who, sitting in the back seat of the car, his mom's going down the highway, the little boy unbuckles and he stands up on the back seat, and the mom says, Sit down! And the little boy says, No! and jumps up and down. And the mom says, Sit down! And the little boy says, No! And so the mom slams on the brakes. The kid hits the back of the seat. He gets up. He's a little frightened. Mom comes out around, opens up the door. The little kid buckles up and he sits down. And the mom goes, okay. She gets back. She gets in the car. She takes off and she's driving. And then, and then she looks back in the mirror and she's at a little boy's like, mumbling to himself. And so mom's like, what are you saying? And he goes, I'm, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. We, we've, all, we've all heard that one before. It's that attitude. That's, that's not obedience. That's obedience. That's externalism. I know when I was a kid, I learned that kind of obedience. That's not what we're talking about here. I learned, though, that how to behave, how to act on the outside. And it was not from the heart. It wasn't really truly honoring my parents because I wasn't doing it to honor God. It wasn't from the heart. Now, it's good to just obey. That's good. But... God calls you to something more. God calls you to obedience, and he calls you to obedience that will change your heart, where you conform your heart into God and say, God, I'm gonna honor my parents, not because I, I get it or I agree, or I, you know, I might think it's silly, but you know what? I'm gonna honor you by honoring my parents and obeying them. And this command to honor our father and mother as adults doesn't stop. Yeah, we're not called to still obey parents as adults. But we are still, we do still have a duty to honor our father and mother as, as part of our obligation to God, our duty to God. And Jesus actually, in that passage in Mark, he talked about what does that look like? It looks like providing for your parents. If they have difficulty, if they have financial challenges, when you're an adult, if you can, it means trying to care for their needs like they cared for your needs. It's a way of showing honor to them. And we can think all of this really applies to everybody in the room whose parents are still alive is how can we seek to honor our parents still? No, we're not called to obey and sometimes our parents ask crazy things or have crazy ideas, but we can still honor them in that. This kind of living, Paul says, it's not without reward. It's the first commandment with a promise. And it's a promise that all of us can say, you know what, I'm not honoring my parents, I'm not gonna, if you're a child, obey my parents because, just because I have to. I'm gonna do it in faith, knowing that it has a reward. There's a reward from God. And you can encourage your children, guys, if, if you obey mom and dad, this is not just about obeying us because we think it's a good idea. God says this will help you learn to love and obey him. And also there's a reward. It'll go well with you. And it, and it has a promise that God says it'll go well with you and, and you'll live long in the land. 
Now, that's not true for absolutely everybody, but that's a general truth that he's referring to here is that generally, if you obey your parents, you're, it's going to go better with you. Now, I know that when I was a teenager specifically, I disobeyed my parents in many ways, and it did not go well with me. I won't share those times in detail now. And many times I got in trouble or stranded in places off the side of the road when it did not go well with me because I did not obey my parents. You can see this at a very early age. If a child does not obey their parents and they stick their finger in a light socket, it's not going to go well with them. If they run with scissors, no, they won't always stab themselves, but they might. It might not go well with them, so generally it will go well. You know, you might not always poke your eye out if you're throwing rocks, but like, maybe like my f- friend of our family, Bill Tenike, they were throwing rocks at each other to see how close they could get, and the one who got the closest without hitting the other person was the winner. Well, his friend lost, and he lost his eye. He did get his eye poked out. I remember growing up as a kid, like, oh my gosh, it's really true. <laughs> well, we never threw rocks at each other. Now, bottle rockets we did, but we didn't, we didn't see that those were actually similar Similar dangers. We're never going to throw rocks at each other, but we'll light bottle rockets. And, and that was just ridiculously stupid. It, if you obey your parents in general, it will go well with you and lead to a longer life. I don't know how many rednecks have died with saying, hey, y'all watch this. And it was something the parents said, don't do that. <laughs> Disobeying your parents can put you in unsafe and unwise situations that don't end well. Obeying your parents, though, is not a guarantee that it's going to go well in everything, that you'll live to be very old. Some have difficult lives and some don't live long. Others might expect some persecution from other kids if you obey your parents. When you don't do things that your friends want to do and you tell them, I'm not allowed to do that, I'm going to honor my parents, you might experience persecution. But remember, there's a reward from God that's eternal. That will last longer than any fleeting reward of your friend's good graces for a few days. There's an eternal reward at stake. Instruction doesn't end with children, though. In a relationship of parent and child, in verse 4, the fathers are directly addressed because of their authority of, as the head of the household. And it speaks to how fathers are to lead the children, but it doesn't just, just apply to fathers. Saying, fathers, lead your house in this way. And so in verse 4, we can see that it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so the second point now that we're going to focus on from these verses is just a simple one. That's that God calls parents to disciple their children in the Lord. God calls parents to disciple their children in the Lord. Disciple your children in all the things we just talked about, but also to instruct them in the ways of the Lord, in the things of God. And so that this outset of the commandment to fathers, though, it's important to see that there's a warning here. The very beginning of this commandment to fathers, there is, and to parents through fathers, by the way, if you're a mother here, this applies to you as well. But because Paul is talking about fathers' responsibility to lead in the home generally, he's addressing it to fathers. And if you're a single parent or a single mom, this, this applies to you just as much, and God will give you grace to be able to parent if, if your husband is not present or if your father is a not around, I mean, their father's not around. 
And it says to parents to don't arouse or provoke your children to anger. Don't incite them to wrath. It's the idea of provoking, exasperating, and being caused for anger. So what it's saying is you as a parent can be provoking to your children. You can incite them to wrath. You can provoke, exasperate, being caused to tempt them to anger. And he's saying don't provoke. Don't provoke your kids to grow up to be angry people. Maybe some of you in this room had parents who provoked you. God can change you. We, we, we don't blame our parents for how we are. God holds us now responsible, but let that serve as a reminder to you of how important it is to not provoke your children, not incite your children to wrath, not provoke your children, in the, maybe it's in the form of resentment or bitterness or exasperation or sarcasm, rolling of the eyes, a cold shoulder, outright rebellion, whatever it is. If, if now, it's not always the case when you see these symptoms in your child, it could just be that your child is struggling with rebelliousness, but if your child is, is exhibiting these behaviors, it, you need to th- stop for a moment, think, okay, they're rolling their eyes at me, they're being sarcastic, they're mocking me, how can I make sure that I'm not provoking them? How can I make sure that I'm not tempting them here? Now, that doesn't mean back off from instructing them, but it does mean you change the way you relate to them and you change the way you relate to them in grace. And you extend the same grace to them that God has extended to you and I in, in forgiveness to you and to me. For a child, they don't have a lot of options, a lot of places to go. Remember that. They need you. They, they rely on you to care for them, to instruct them, protect them, to keep them safe. You really are their source of food and shelter and the basic essentials of life. And they look to you naturally. Most children can't survive on the streets on their own. They weren't meant to. And so though children were meant to be cared for, our children are meant to be cared for like like a seed, like a tender little seed that we plant that we water, that we, we put them in a good and a safe environment where they won't be exposed to extremes early on that could harm them. And, and our, our kids are kind of like little, little sprouts that, that are meant to be nurtured and cared for and, and protected and fed and tended. And we're to bring up our children in that way. But we can provoke them to anger when we treat them unfairly. If you remember the story of, of Jacob and, and his sons, he provoked the brothers of Joseph. How did he do that? How did he provoke the brothers of Joseph? They were angry with him and they were angry with Joseph. And their anger with Joseph, it resulted in them wanting to kill Joseph. And so they took Joseph because they were angry with him. They were angry with their dad. They took Joseph. They threw him in a pit. And they sold him into slavery. And they lied and said, Dad, your son has been killed. Why? Well, a good part of that and, and why we have that story is to see that, that Jacob... And this, by the way, is one of the patriarchs of the faith. Jacob, who later is called Israel, he, he provoked his kids. He, he was not an, an ideal parent. He provoked his kids in, to anger, to bitterness, to murderous intent. And, and he says, don't provoke your children to anger like that. If you had siblings growing up, you might know what it's, it looks like 
you might be aware that your parent did not see you as their favorite, but they treated your sibling as their favorite. And you, you know what it looks like and what it feels like to be treated that way if you were in that kind of home. And he says, parents, don't, don't treat your own children that way. Don't play favorites. Don't provoke them to anger. You can, you, can, you can provoke our kids to anger in many ways, playing favorites. You can provoke our children by, by being unreasonable, by placing demands on them and constraints on them that they can't do or that are too difficult for them. Be cautious. Be aware. Do not provoke your children that way. Now, that doesn't mean you don't call your children to responsibility and give them things that are hard for them, but you set them up for success and you help them be able to do those things. You don't leave them out there and, and give them things that are hard to do, but yet don't also give them the tools and help show them how to do it. That's provoking. No child should be expected to be the confidant of one parent complaining about another parent. That can provoke them. If you are doing that, if you are complaining about your spouse to your child, you are provoking them, and it's not appropriate it's not going to help them or you. Another way to provoke is to always be finding fault, to always be critical, always be showing them or giving them a better way to do things. And so when they obey you and they come to you and say, hey, mom, dad, look, I obeyed you. And then you say, yeah, not good enough. I know that that's a temptation for all of us as parents is to constantly be pointing out those areas where they're not quite good enough. And what that's doing is it's provoking them to anger, but it's also, it's giving them a wrong idea of how God the Father treats us. And it's setting them up for later in life to struggle with, to potentially struggle with the fact that, that mm, I never feel like I measure up to God. I'm accepted by Him because of my behavior. Parents, you can set your kids up negatively that way by, by making them always feel, provoking them to always feel like their, their behavior is just not quite good enough. You know, as a church, I think we need to grow, not just parents. I think as a church, we need to grow in looking for where God's at work and encouraging one another while it's still called today, building each other up, supporting each other. And parents, one of the specific ways that you can do this is by encouraging the people in your house. Be looking for where God's at work in your children. Be looking for signs of the grace of God at work in them and encouraging them. Think about when you have grown the most. It's not when all the negative things about you have been pointed out. It's been saying there's hope because God has given you hope. There's hope and you know what? I love you no matter what. Don't provoke your children by being critical, always showing them a better way. If you're an adult, you know that nobody likes somebody who's always critiquing, always offering their opinion on how you can do something better whenever you do anything. We all have probably a friend or a family member like that. And you're like, I just don't even want to talk to them. You can provoke your children the same way. A child who's demeaned or belittled is provoked to anger. They can often grow up angry at authority, viewing God the way that you treated them. You can provoke your kids by neglecting them. There are times when it's appropriate if, in our career, in our job, and say, you know what? I'm not gonna get an A at work. I'm, I'm gonna instead spend some time at home with my kids. I'm not gonna spend all weekend doing something to further work. I need to say, you know what? I'm done, and, and I'm gonna spend time with my children. 
Don't provoke your children by neglecting them. Don't provoke your children by exploring your own hobbies instead of being with them. I remember I used to hunt and explore some beautiful woods up in Virginia where my parents had property where we used to live. And, and um, I remember before they built a house there, we would come into the woods. And as we go walk into the woods, it was really hard to get through because there was lots of brambles and briars. And it was a thicket of, of thorns. And, and I hated the first few hundred feet of going into their property. It was, it was a, kind of a, a wet area. And I hated going in there because... Everything grew wildly and it didn't benefit. It just it scraped you up. It cut you. There was, there was no benefit to these weeds. It turns out after they built there, we discovered, oh, those are raspberry bushes. But down, down below, they, they didn't produce any fruit. We never knew they were raspberry bushes because there was just a bunch of thorns. And, and the reason why is because they were never tended. They were never cared for. They were neglected. They, they, weren't, they didn't cut the trees back to give them sunlight. And so my parents uprooted some of them and put them in better soil and put them in a place where they could get proper drainage and sunlight and they cared for them and put them in a place where they could produce fruit. On their own, children will grow wild. Um, We don't need to teach our children to disobey. From a very early age, I still remember the very first time each of my children disobeyed and I was like shocked. Like, where did that come from? They said, come here. No. No. What? There's like no reason for that. Or when they, they hit or they did something else, they didn't have to be around any other kids. They didn't have to be in any bad environment. They just had to be human. There's a sin nature that left to its own. It grows weeds. It grows thorny. It's not profitable. It's not productive. Parents, we need to tend to our children. We need to, to put them in a place where they can grow and bear fruit. And if we do that, though, they will grow. They will bear fruit. Don't neglect your children. Give them time and attention that they need in order to grow and produce fruit. And then what do we need to do is we need to spend time with our children, cultivate them, put them in a place where they can experience the sun and bear fruit. In the 80s, it was a really popular idea to, um, you know what, if you don't have much time with your kids, just get some quality time with them. Just, Just quality time. And so what is this quality time thing? What it was was an excuse really that, that I don't spend a lot of time with my kids, but when I do, it's really meaningful. But what your kids are saying is, I want more time. You can't just spend 20 minutes a day and think that's quality time with your kids and that's sufficient. Our kids need both quality and quantities. Children require large quantities of time. Very little that we do in our hobbies or in our work, it will ever compare to the lasting fruit and lasting effects that our parenting is going to have for countless generations. Children are a gift and a blessing. We're going to spend a good portion of our time with them as a priority right after God and our spouse. There's a story of Absalom, the son of King David in the Bible. It's a tragic story thinking this is King David's son he's God's anointed one and what did King David do he ignored Absalom he neglected him he didn't spend time with him and Absalom was provoked to anger by his father King David Absalom he he desperately wanted you can see this desperate longing to be with his father his father neglected him rejected him and so father he, he became angry at his father and resentful and led him to overthrow his father and try to kill him and we have stories like that in the Bible. They aren't just, they aren't just showing us history, but they're, they're meant there for us to learn from and to see that even the people who are very godly, 
who may be doing well in many areas of their life need to pay attention. Just because you're great, you're successful, does not mean you're doing a great job as a parent. Don't go back on your promises and provoke them in that way. Even Hollywood knows that it's exasperating the children. There's, there's countless movies made about deadbeat dads who, who don't spend time with their kids and don't live up to their promises or, or moms who are too busy and they make empty promises to their kids. There's a, a movie many years ago now uh, by Jim Carrey. It was called Liar, Liar. And the whole premise of the movie is this little kid just wants to be with his dad. And his dad keeps saying, I'll be there, I'll be there, I'll be there. And he never shows up. And so the kid resents him and he makes this wish that his dad would just change. And so and then the movie goes from there. And, and the, the reconciliation of this is when the father finally shows up. He's finally there. And he finally says, you know, I'm not going to lie anymore. I'm really going to be here. Even, even society knows it's not right to provoke your children to anger by promising them things you're not going to do. Now, this doesn't mean you don't promise them anything. Don't, don't get out of it that way. You know what? I'm never going to promise my kids anything. I'm never going to tell them anything. That way, they'll never be disappointed. No. They're gonna, they, they need you. They need time with you. There's statistics I was reading this week uh, from the Centers for Disease Control and medical community showing that most often people, kids who bully, they have a rough home life or a home life that's unloving or a place where the discipline is punitive or the parents are absent. Parents, they need you. Fathers especially are the focus because fathers can be tempted to be harsh and demanding on in a way that most often moms are not. Now, this, that's not true for everybody, and, and all of us, moms, dads, and alike, are tempted to be harsh and angry and to provoke. But we're commanded, instead of to provoke, to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. A few verses earlier in the chapter, that same word that we now have is bring them up. A couple of verses earlier, he was talking about husbands and wives relationships, and he said, husbands, love your wives like you love your own bodies, nourishing them. Well, that's the same exact word in the original Greek that we have for bring them up here. And it's the only two places in the Bible that's used. And so it has a connotation, really, of to, to nourish, to, to cultivate, to care, to, to care tenderly for our children. So we're to bring them up, to nourish them, to feed them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So husbands, we're commanded not only to nourish our wives, we're to nourish our children as well. My mom used to have the, a plant called a clematis or clematis. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. But it's this, this growing vine. And this, this vine, I remember my mom talking about it all the time when it was spring and summer because it was very difficult to tend. It was wild. It required spending a lot of time with it and pruning it and, and fertilizing it. And, and you had to apparently give the vines plenty of sunlight, but you had to keep the roots shadowed. You see, the plant things around the roots to keep the roots shadowed, water a lot, fertilize it. it, was, it, it she spent a lot of time with this like, one vine. I'm like, why would you spend so much time with this like, one little vine? And all it does is, for a brief period, it produces some flowers. But then, like, all winter long, it looks dead and ugly. And, and, and so she would complain about it in the summertime, about all the effort it took. But then when it bloomed, she was like, oh, it's all worth it. I love clematises. They're great. <laughs> she, she loved that, and it, and it bore fruit. She didn't always see the results, but with nourishing and care, it bloomed beautifully. Our children are like that. Sometimes they are wild and they are all over the place. 
We have to tend them. We have to fertilize them. We have to feed them, care for them. And, and every child we treat a little bit differently and specialize how we care for our children. Times kids are messy, wild, fragile vines. They require a lot of effort. We don't always see results, but with nourishing, with care, they, they'll bloom beautifully, each in their own way. Children are, are like a beautiful, fragile flower that they're so easily crushed by a parent, but they can also be encouraged to bloom and flourish and bring so much joy and beauty as we see them grow. And we're to nourish them, to, to feed them, to train them, to instruct them in the things of the Lord. And, and that instruction it implies teaching them the things of the Lord. Now, um, I don't want you to be legalistic and say, okay, I have to have um, quiet times with my kids and I have to look just like this. No, but you need to be regularly, daily, in some way, encouraging them, instructing them generally. Now, sometimes your schedules are busy, you have plans and things like that. You have a small group on Wednesday night or Thursday night. Um, yes, those nights you might not be able to, but generally... Say, okay, Lord, how can I use every moment to instruct them? One of the things that we do as a family is at dinner times or meal times, um, Sunday lunch typically, not every Sunday if you have an appointment, but Sunday lunches, we'll go home and say, hey, guys, what did you learn in class today? Let's talk about that. I'll talk about what we talked about in Sunday morning. And we'll use every setting you have with them to instruct them to be a teaching moment. This, this instruction discipline entails a wide range of activity, including instruction and commands and admission and reproof and encouragement and punishment and training and care. Sometimes, parents, you are only focusing on discipline. We're not just to discipline our kids. We're to discipline and train them. And that discipline word has a sense of to, to teach them to be disciplined. It's not just punishment. They need instruction nourishing them and implies gentleness, implies kindness and tenderness. There's, there's, let me tell you guys, there's nothing more manly than a, than a man who is, who is singing over a little baby in his arms. Nourishing, that's the picture here of this nourishing, tenderly holding a newborn baby, cooing over a little girl, singing to them. Nothing unmanly about that. In, in fact, in Zephaniah 3, it gives us a picture of who God is as our Father. And it's the same, same example that we're to, to carry out with our children. And so we see in Zephaniah 3.16, he says, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. What encourages God's people? He says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. And so this mighty warrior picture that we have of God, a mighty one who will save and deliver, it says, He will rejoice over you with gladness. Don't just be the mighty one who saves your kids. Be the mighty one who saves your kids and rejoices over them with gladness. It says, God rejoices over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. Not saying, be quiet. He quiets you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. It's not weak to nourish your children. The mighty one who saves rejoices over you with gladness, quiets you with his love, exalts you with loud singing. Yes, there's an aspect of discipline that includes things that don't feel good. Hebrews 12, 11, it tells us um, that for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The goal, though, of that pain, of that punishment, is so that it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I like the way that the New Living Translation puts Proverbs 19, 18, when it's speaking to parents, and it says, discipline your children while there is hope. If you don't, 
you will ruin their lives. It's kind of a shocking way of putting it, huh? At times, discipline includes some redemptive and restorative form of pain, but the goal is to train our children to help them yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So don't avoid, though, at times, times our children need some kind of pain to reinforce that there are consequences for sin. Why? Why do we do that? It's not unkind when we help our children experience pain for, as a consequence for sin. It's so that we can keep them from experiencing real pain later in life. We want to keep them from experiencing real consequences in life that will hurt them far worse than what, what we lovingly do. Parents, though, you are the only ones who are primarily responsible to discipline and instruct your children of the Lord. This is not something that you can give up to other people. We can't abdicate our responsibility here. The Bible doesn't speak to whether you choose to homeschool or public school or charter school or private school or co-op school or unschool or whatever. That's not what the Bible's talking about, but it is saying that you are the one who's primarily responsible, no matter what form that takes, to discipline and instruct your children in the Lord. That, that responsibility lies with you. All those methodologies we shouldn't focus on to the exclusion of another, but we do want to focus on this biblical principle that we are responsible for disciplining, for instructing, for teaching our children in the Lord. That's why when we have cross currents, it's going to meet tonight. We're looking forward to it. It's a great time. That's why we strongly encourage, it's not mandatory, but we say, you know what? Parents, you need to know what your kids are hearing. We want you to be a part of that. We want you to be involved in their lives. We want you to be a part of instructing, training them up. And so we want you to be excited about being together with your kids. And so bring your kids to cross currents so that you can be a part of training and instructing them and helping provide a context for them where they can receive from God, dropping them off or, or, or taking them to the Bible study. If either way, that's okay, but providing a context for them on those Friday nights where they can learn about the things of the Lord. That's some of the ways that we can provide to, to train up our children the way that should, they should go. Now, if you can't make things with your kids, don't be condemned, but you're the one who is responsible, so you need to be actively involved in your kid's life. Know what they're being taught. Know what they're learning at school. Know what they're being taught by what they see, what they expose themselves to. Be careful with what you feed them with. And you can, this first place we see this is applied is really in the home. And in Deuteronomy eleven nineteen, God God's commanding his people to teach the commandments of God to their children all the time. And it says, you shall teach them the commandments of God to your children, talking to them when you are sitting in your house, when you're walking away, when you lie down, when you rise. What's it saying? It's saying that look for opportunities no matter what you're doing. If you're, when you get up in the morning, look for opportunities to train your children. When you are taking a walk, look for opportunities. When you're going along the way, when you, when you, before you're going to bed, look for ways to teach and instruct your children the commandments of God. All this is to be done in a nourishing, tender way. And our model for parenting is not based on whether your own parents did it well. A lot of us have parents who did not. My parents tried their best, and in many ways, they did a great job as parents. But in many ways, they failed too. My model, my hope for parenting is not in my parents and how they treated me and what I learned from them. It's in how God treats us. Our model for parenting is God the Father, this mighty warrior who saves, who rejoices over you with gladness despite your behavior. Despite your sin, despite your failings, despite your weaknesses, he rejoices over you with gladness. He's not, he's not telling of your weakness, telling of your sin. He's rejoicing over the treasure that you are. It says that we are his inheritance. He views us as a treasure, as his inheritance. 
and he sings over us with gladness. He rejoices over us. He's slow to anger. He's rich in love. If you have placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and you have said that God, I want to live for you, but I want to live by faith in Christ who died for me and loved me and gave himself up for me, that he's rejoicing over you. He's slow to anger. He's rich in love. He's full of mercy. He's full of compassion. He's not angry with you. God's tender with us. He knows our frame. It says he knows that we are weak. He knows that we're but dust. God doesn't treat us according to how we deserve. He forgives us not because we deserve forgiveness, but he treats all who place their faith in him according to what Jesus deserved as he lived this perfect life in our place. And, and God removes all of our sins from us and he actively forgets them. And when he relates to us, he doesn't relate to us based on what we've done. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. I love that we sang that this morning. God washes us clean. He gives us clothes of righteousness. He lavishes us with affection. That's what we rejoice in. That's what our hope is in. That is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Even when he disciplines us, it is for our good, even though it doesn't seem pleasant. So all of these things, if you are a Christian, are what we rejoice in. If you've been made alive in Christ, this is the truth that motivates us and sustains us, enables us to grow and bear fruit. And parents, this is the motivation for you raising your children the way they should go. It's because of how God treats you. Children, this is your motivation for obeying your parents because God rescued you, because you're secure in him, because he's washed you clean, he's forgiven your sins. If you haven't been obeying your parents, now's the time to ask God's forgiveness, ask your parents' forgiveness, and experience the promises of God as you seek to obey your parents the means of, of obeying and honoring God. Parents, if you have been failing in parenting, don't experience condemnation, but do repent. It's not too late for you to turn. If you've been neglecting or inconsistent or harsh or angry, resentful, or provoking your children, repent. And God will, he says, he'll forgive you your sins and make you clean from all unrighteousness. Either way, we can ask for God's blessing and experience his blessing as we, as we seek to honor and submit to one another in this way as parents, in this way as children, in this way as a body, as we are a radical new humanity in Christ and we're helping each other. You see, we need each other in the body and, and one of the reasons why we have small groups and why I, I strongly encourage you if you're not actively participating in your small group, I want to I be really firm with you. You need each other. Go. You're like, I'm not getting a lot of it out of it. Go. Help other people. Other people need to help you. We need to be in community together. We are a radical new humanity, and we're blind in many ways, and so easy to go away from fellowship. And when you do that, it gets easier and easier. But we need each other as a body of Christ. He's called us together as a, as a radical new people in him. And, and he's given everybody different seasons of life. He's given everybody different roles. But we're all called to each member do their part. You know, as a church, one of the ways that we help care for parents, care for each other, care for children, it's in our small groups. And so go to somebody in your small group and say, I'm, I need help in my parenting. Or if you're a child, um, go to your parents and say, can, can we get help? Here, um, I need to learn to obey you. And can we maybe have a Bible study with some other kids? And, and can we get together? 
And, and be in community. Be looking to God to help you. And there's hope. There's forgiveness in him. And there's also help in practical ways in this room. Don't deny yourself that help by not participating actively. There's hope in God. And God mediates that hope through people here. He's the one who can make all things new. He's the one who gives us fresh mercy every morning. He'll be faithful to you. He'll be faithful to help you. He'll also be faithful to help you help other people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's living, it's active, it is, it pierces to division of soul and spirit, bone and marrow, Lord. Thank you that you don't pierce us out of meanness. You do that to conform us into